Yeah, let's. Got it. Okay, hey guys, welcome to the Nagalai Podcast again. It's been a long, long time, but I'm so glad we get to do this again. Uh, and then, look, I just want to remind everyone again what Nagalai Podcast is. It's really a real and honest talk about life because, hey, growing up, we all have a thought. Oh, when I'm adult, I'm going to be ABCD. When you get to be an adult, apparently your ABCD turns into monsters. And that's okay. And that's why we have this conversation in this podcast that is honest, real, and candid. So that uh, all of you who are young still, uh, you get to hear from us who went through what we had to go through. So today we are still going to talk about education. Uh, I think going through the mini series that we've had so far, um, it's still a really big topic um, that can go anywhere. And today, that anywhere leads us to a door that I feel less talked about, especially in Indonesia. And um, I'm just so excited to have a colleague of mine, a friend of mine here, uh, Farhan, who's going to be sharing with us a bit uh, of um, a part of education that I do feel we need to explore more. Uh, and so I'm just going to leave it to him to introduce himself, what he's, uh, what he has done, his specialty and his credentials. So Farhan, over to you. Would you please? Hey, I will. Hi everyone. So I'm Farhan. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, I work learning support, uh, and teach science, uh, with Will at the school. And I have been in education for 15 years. My specialty is, of course, special needs. Uh, that's, I've got my master's in that. I've also got diploma in learning disorders management in child psychology uh, and also certifications in counseling. Uh, so yeah, that's me. I've been deeply entrenched uh, in the area of learning support and helping children with different needs manage the world in whatever way that means uh, for basically my whole adult life. <laughs> okay, that is that is quite 15 years? Yes, it's, uh, yeah, I started working in 2007 mm -hmm. uh, with Hills Learning Center uh, back in Malaysia. Okay, 15 years is like a long time. Like that's like a decade and a half. When you put anything <laughs> at, like with, with the word decade, that's a long mm -hmm. time. Yeah, <laughs> decade uh, and a half. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so that is, um, and again, so this is going to be a podcast education specifically for uh, special needs. And I know that um, growing up, especially for me, it's not something that's openly talked about, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have what we call here, um, Sekolah Luar Biasa SLB. So, but essentially, that's basically a, a, um, a way to say that that is a specialized school for students or for, or for any children with special needs, right? Um, but the general sentiment that we, that we were, that we felt at the time was that, oh, they're different, right? But uh, I picked up on something that you said before, um, teaching them, I mean, the students with the special needs, navigating with the world. Yeah, right that's the that's the biggest part of it yeah right so basically then because from what we know which is very very few information about that that led to oh they're different but there's lack of understanding now that i'm teaching in raffles at least i think like throughout my entire time here like close to six years now um there are some students in you know, many of my homeroom classes that actually uh, exhibit. Some parents did tell me, hey, my son is this, my daughter is whatever. Some do, but not all. And I think like it is still a very sensitive topic, isn't it? Right? Because like I'm just yeah. wondering in your 15 years of doing this, what about from the parents' side in terms of just the openness? Because, well, they do need help, right? Um, maybe like more, than, more so than our students in different way, of course. 
but I just wonder, this just comes out of my top of my brain because uh, when I'm remembering my experiences with parents, especially, it's always, it's always like walking through a minefield. You just have to be very selective with your words. Uh, what do you think? Like, what's your experience in this then? Yeah. So for me, you know, especially early in my career, I was working specifically with special needs. So by the time parents were talking to us, uh, they already, you know, were at the level of like, oh, I accept and I'm working to understand. So that's a little bit different, but I am definitely seeing that more um, working with international schools, uh, even previously with um, with my previous work, I would go to international schools and uh, talk to the teachers, talk to the students, and sometimes the parents. And yeah, it's you. You can talk about it. <laughs> you do. You really do have to be careful because there is weird stigma around special needs. Like if I were to bring up like my first real introduction to special needs, quote unquote, special needs is. Um, my younger brother because he has ADHD, mm -hmm. right? And I remember once, you know, my mother was completely open about it, you know, because her perspective was, oh, great. I have a name behind what's going on. I understand why he's struggling. Yeah. It's these things. We, we, have, we have something we can work with. But I remember her being very perplexed in one interaction with another parent where she brought up, you know, oh, uh, Farouk has ADHD. And the parent is like, ah, oh no, but he seems so normal. Like really like, you know, as if oh, it's, no. you know, as if, as if we've just told like, oh, my, my child is dying or something. Yeah, you know? or like have like uh, incurable disease or something. Oh my God. Exactly. Okay. But we, you know, we really have to adjust our mindset towards a lot of special needs. Like special needs exist on a spectrum, yeah. but there's a lot of stuff, like you said, if we have, if we're just looking at the students at raffles, I can just see that there's a lot going on with a lot of different kids and diagnosis doesn't matter. And this is even when talking to parents back to the original question where I can say, I observe these difficulties and I would like to help your child with these difficulties by doing X, Y, and Z, right? And if you have real tangible, like, uh, real tangible things you can point out. Like, you know, I can see that they're struggling to get along with their friends or they're struggling to uh, socialize. So I'd like to do social thinking sessions. Okay. You know, that, that makes sense, right? <laughs> or uh, even like, oh, I can see, you know, I can see little, little Joe here uh, seems to be having trouble with literacy. You know, in my head, I'm thinking, I, I suspect there's dyslexia, but I won't say that straight off, right? So mm -hmm. I see they're having some trouble with literacy, you know, uh, I'm learning support with the school. I can provide some extra support with literacy. Okay. Right. Like, oh, perfect. You know, so you have to start the, in, in my interactions with the parents. It's typically like that. I can point out the tangible, like, and then they're okay with that. But I can definitely see if I, I I've had to avoid this because the few times I've mentioned like, oh, uh, ASD, ADHD, just like, like, then there's some pushback. Okay. No, because like that's, the right words. that's the thing though. Cause like, I feel like this, this comes from just years of experience to be able to even come up with a different angle in the conversations too. Right. Um, yeah. Like it's always, it's always a, it's always a very shaky ground uh, to just even like have that conversation with parents. Hey, by the way. Um, and yeah, just, because like, okay, so before we go too far, though, I know that we've already jumped uh, like far ahead. But I just want to kind of like uh, circle back a bit. Um, what makes your approach, because you said, and in the beginning in the intro that you've, you're a learning support, you've been doing this for, for many, many years, but also you're teaching now uh, in primary. So I just want to kind of like know just a bit of a background in terms of just like what makes um, the approach in teaching students with special needs different, vastly different maybe, right? Uh, with just a regular class, right? So what's the approach here that makes it 
uh, I don't know if it's uh, is it any harder or is it just difference? Oh, it, it, this just makes me think of something that one of my professors said way back that has really stuck with me, which is every child's needs are special. <laughs> right. You're here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you know, it's always in, you know, for the majority of kids, they can accept information in kind of the same way. But if we're honest, like for each individual, if you're dealing with one-on-one, -on -one, for example, your approach is going to be slightly more conversational. You'll get to know the child, you'll get to see their interests, and then you'll get to find ways of keying in like how their mind works with what you're trying to teach them and find a good, like that's ideally what you do in a one-on-one -on -one situation. So if you have these children with needs in your classroom, there's a bit of that. You have to be a bit more aware of them in particular, like what are, how are they processing it, right? And you can try and cater more towards that because generally most of the other kids will, you'll be able to do things in a lot of different ways, yes. right? They'll be able to take it in in a lot of different ways. And what you're doing to help support uh, you know, the way you're presenting to help support the child who's struggling uh, is often just another way that the other kids are also going to get it, right? So I will say like when you're teaching the whole classroom, when you're teaching the whole classroom, um, you do, I do have some thoughts of like, these are the kids that I know are struggling. So I'm going to make sure I do these things that I know work for them. And if I'm doing it well, it should also work for everybody else, right? Okay. Oh, um, because that's interesting. Because like, you know how like we when we're trained in, in teaching, mm -hmm. it's always like uh, catered to the um, the learning styles, right? Um, some students are more in tune with visual, uh, some more with verbal, some with more uh, hands-on experiments. Uh, and one of the, the one of the things that we have to do as a, as educators is to use every single one in class when, in, in any of our lessons. So it's like, oh yeah, a bit of this, a bit of that. We put every single bit of things inside. But what's interesting to me then, because it does sound like uh, those students with special needs are not well no pun intended, but are not that special because they're just having different needs. Just like yeah. students have different needs in terms of the content presentation from us, either visually, audio, uh, you know, uh, hands-on experiments, team project collaboration, all kinds of those things because each, again, each child, to your point, has specific needs or no, not specific, but has preferences preferences yes preferences in ways that they're they can receive better right because based on that alone and that just struck uh, struck out to me um in a way that hey that just means that we just need to identify what their needs are and then also put it in as part of what we have curated and designed and um, okay. And actually, I'll, I'll even say like what, what you were saying just reminded me like, but before I was working at Raffles, because here it's mostly using the term special needs, but a lot of the industry uses the term LD, right? Okay. Which is supposed to be, um, for some people, they think in their head that's learning disabilities. That's where it started. Uh -huh. But the push has been to think of it as learning differences because it's not a disability the way we're you know trying to reframe it as like they just think differently but also mm -hmm. to to that like I, I i guess i also want to caveat more at this point that when we say special needs learning differences there's such a huge range mm -hmm. right that's yeah so, that's what what, yeah. what i would like to ask you like in a bit later but uh, okay. go on for now yes <laughs> no yeah so so there's such a huge range so of like the people that i'm talking about generally for like in the classroom uh, I'm imagining people who are, you know, already like under our current system can be mainstreamed, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Or like can be mainstreamed with some assistance. So, yeah. uh, you know, with raffles, we don't have a lot of very, um, we don't have a lot. There are some, but we don't have a lot of very 
uh, intense cases yes. that require a lot of management. So, um, I do want to ask though, like uh, like I said previously before, um, what are some, or is there even any, um, I guess generalized or mainstream spectrum of LD that typically would be found in in school settings? Yeah, like. I would see in school settings, like the thing I see a lot uh, is a, is what would qualify as ASD, okay. right? Uh, autism spectrum disorder, uh, some disagreement on the fact that we separated AS, like autism and Asperger's and we put them together into one spectrum. But <laughs> uh, essentially a lot of these social difficulties, difficulties with perspective taking, uh, mm -hmm. I yeah. see a lot of that. Okay, uh, but if you can also like just for our listeners, maybe we, mm. we have listeners who don't really know what autism is, what Asperger's, okay. right? So if you can also kind of like clarify what those mm. are, what they would look like. Again, okay, listeners, first of all, you need a qualified, trained professionals in order to then declare someone is whatever. I don't want anyone to use this podcast and be like, hey, this is what they said. That must mean that person that I know is whatever. Like, no, please don't. If you have any suspicions, right? If you have anything to uh, that would give you any sort of like signal in your brain, hey, this person might be whatever. Think about it for a second. Is it your part to get the person tested and is there any need at all okay so again i i just want us to be very mindful and be very tactful as well in this um conversation because again we talk about it at the beginning there's a stigma still to it don't throw things around when you're not sure what it is okay so i just want to i really just feel someone out there will be like clip and then be like, I'm, hey. I'm very, I'm very glad. I'm very glad you're, you're adding that in because, uh, yeah, you're right. There is, especially I, I've noticed, um, among some teens that, yeah, they, they use, they use autism like as, as a slur, as an really. insult, and it's yeah. not <laughs> because you know it's, it's one of those things where, uh, like for example, Elon Musk frequently mentions. I don't know if he's actually been diagnosed, but he calls himself, uh. You know, he, he says he's got ASD, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, one great example that I love is Greta Thunberg yeah. has openly said that uh, autism is her superpower because one of the one of the common characteristics, again, there's always a range autism, ASD can be seen like in a whole range of behaviors and such. But one of the common things we see is an obsession. Okay. Right. You'll see that you'll see the child who's, you know, like as little, little kids, for example, the one who's like just all about dinosaurs to like an alarming degree. Like one of the interesting ways you can really check that's uh, check for ASD that's interesting is if you get them going on a topic and you leave, are they still talking about it even though nobody's around? That's one of those things where you can kind of see like, okay, that's, that's a little bit strange. We might want to look into that deeper. Not okay. going to say that's, that's immediately a sign of like autism, but that's one of the ways that you can, yeah. that you can see like, okay, we need to look into this further. But yeah, Greta Thunberg is like the environment, mm -hmm. global uh, climate change. This is my obsession. And you can see what it's done. Like she's become this incredible figure uh, uh, working towards this. You know, a yeah. lot of people in tech, like, yeah, their obsessions were tech and they're able to devote so much of their minds to it. So, yeah, it's, again, learning differences. Yeah. The brain works differently. Doesn't mean it's worse. Doesn't mean it's better. It's just different. Exactly. Because, um, okay, so let's talk, let's talk a bit about, like, the, the, the spectrums uh, mm -hmm. and the different types. Because, uh, well, I mean, working with you, I, I know, I come to know, uh, ADHD has turned into ADD, uh, right? So, and then oh, we have ASD as well. It has it changed again or was I wrong? Uh, no, ADD, ADHD are not, I, they're, they're two separate. They separated them. Oh, they separated. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's like, like one is just not paying attention and one is not paying attention and hyperactive. Okay. So um, would that, would that be accurate? Would it be accurate if we say that those three are the most commonly found in school settings? 
aside yes, from the definitely. intense cases. Okay, so um, you mentioned about also how like uh, like ASD, autism spectrum disorder, uh, one of the one of the signs or one of the flags would be an obsession that goes beyond social norm. Right, social norm mm. meaning that you know when you're having a conversation and you pick up these social cues and you're like oh maybe this person doesn't like talking about what i'm talking about so maybe i need to kind of like you know talk about something else right so um but to your point again it's just differences because i have another question about that later but we'll talk about that so like that's they that's like asd like there is a certain amount of obsession that goes beyond social cues and social norms right that's uh, a very then, common yeah, symptom. Okay, it's a very common symptom. Uh, and then ADD would be the one not paying attention at all, just being very distracted, isn't it? Yeah, the AD, you know, ADD attention deficit disorder, uh, as the name implies, it's like, yeah, not paying, doesn't appear to be paying attention. But I also take some issue with that because the reality is we're always paying attention to something. And you'll find that these ADD, ADHD children can hyper-focus on their interests but yeah, they, we call it attention deficit because in the settings where the adults are, you know, monitoring the kids in the classroom where we're being super boring because we're talking about like, oh, yeah. whatever that's not interesting so, them, they uh, wonder. And then we call them ADD. Oh, my God. Because like that even, here's also another thing, right? And I, I do believe in the validity of the, the researchers um, and also the, the, the amount of um, time dedicated to even develop um, this whole theory idea and, 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 and beyond that. But sometimes I feel like we also have to challenge the fact that our society has also this obsession of like, when I talk, you need to listen. Yeah. But for children, it's like, when you talk, you're boring. And therefore, it's different from adults. Adults learn uh, to pay attention regardless whether the person is boring or not. But even so, or we, we learn fall, to fake it. <laughs> we learn to fake it, or we openly just sleep in meetings until we just like really don't. We're just not. Right. So yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we do have the challenge as well. Our societies, um, what's a, what's a normal conduct? Because again, like we, we have labels for everything, which I just find it ridiculous sometimes. Um, and what's really interesting about that is as well, like this label of ADD, like some kids, uh, we very much un like under notice, especially young girls not paying attention because they've been socialized to be very good at like, I will sit still and I will be, my eyes are front and I look like I'm paying attention, but I've, you know, I've talked to some kids, no, my, my mind was completely somewhere else. I was not there. I have no idea what was being said, oh but you know, God. just they, they look enough like there. So yeah, even, yeah. even some kids are faking it. Yeah. Because like, then and, again, it's like, but can, can we actually then say it's ADD if the topic itself is not of interest? Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly one of the weird things about it. Right. Okay. Uh, I have to say there, there was a stage in my life where I wondered, like, is it actually like a real, real thing? Okay. But, What's your conclusion uh, then? Especially working with some children who are uh, ADHD, where I can definitely, like, once you've worked with those kids who are clearly like, ah, yes, I see. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Where like absolutely cannot sit still, uh, will move from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another. Uh, I, I have one child in particular that that comes to mind when I think of this, but they were also really brilliant because it's like they were doing, they were completing a task and then going on to the next thing, going on. And then you like, I leave them to do a task. I turn around and they're, you know, they're, they're over playing with some blocks, but they finished the task already. So it's, uh, but yeah, it's just, they're, they're, you know, uh, very quick. Uh, my, uh, my younger brother, again, uh, ADHD, I can give you an example of something um, where I went to go check on him to see if he's doing his homework. I was instructed by mom, go see if I was doing his work. <laughs> yes. uh, and I go up and I just peek into the room and he's in like his work is out in front of him, but he's standing up, you know, in front of the table and he's just dancing. 
there's no music, but he's just dancing. You know, something. It's like it was difficult for him to maintain the focus on the task, and he just needed to move, right? Yes. Uh, so you see a lot of these things where, yeah, there's just okay. too much energy. Their their mind needs to move very very fast. So I say it does definitely exist. However, uh, I'll also say that for a lot of children who are exhibiting ADHD symptoms, because uh, I, I feel a lot of these like are it's when you look at the DSM, it's really just do you meet these categories of symptoms? Mm. But there's no like blood test to be like, oh yes, you have this like gene or you have this thing that shows yeah. yeah. Oh, even like genes, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like arguments, like. I think that there were there were experiments like oh the like certain strains of oh. DNA or genes or whatever will exist. Yeah, I mean, like all these markers for it, it gets very confusing because there's a lot of other factors outside of like genetics. Genetics is always going to play a factor. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it's <laughs> sorry I lost my train of thought a little bit because for where was I going with the with the Farouk example? Oh, uh, you uh so basically the question was like, is it actually real? Because it oh. sounds like um Oh yeah, okay. I remember what I was gonna say now. Yeah. Because uh a lot of what we see as the symptoms are can be explained by things like lack of sleep, mm -hmm. improper nutrition. Yeah. A lot of these things, like for example, like if you don't sleep well, of course you're gonna have trouble like getting your mind straight, focusing, you're going to feel that like weird buzziness in your head. Uh, some kids have certain intolerances to food that we're not aware of. This is something that, you know, I ended up doing my, uh, my master's in this specific area yeah. on the influence of food on impulsivity specifically. Uh, that, yeah, that for some kids, like there's definitely certain foods that trigger, like they feel uncomfortable and then they have trouble like just maintaining focus, sitting still, uh, there's even things like what we've learned about primitive reflexes, where basically certain parts of the body have, you can look into primitive reflexes. It's really, really super interesting. I don't know if you remember uh, or if you were there back before COVID when I was doing that uh, professional development with everybody. And I, the big part of this is the funny part was I poked Miss Hannah in the spine and she, her reaction was a good example Oh of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, uh, yeah. In chapel, if I'm not mistaken. No, it was it was in the auditorium. But yeah, like primitive primitive reflexes are basically we have these reflexes that are built into our bodies from when we're very very young. But through normal developmental processes, we get rid of them. But for some people, we don't. Yeah, I remember. So the, I remember there was a wait. Were, were you also talking about like you know just the feeling of like feet? Or something like yeah the it was knee. The, the, the knee yeah, like if, feet, you, if you tap the knee and then you kind of like just like it bounces or something that like that was the that was the example i gave so that reflex so like the example that i showed with miss hannah was for a lot of children who are born cesarean they don't work out i forget the exact name like all of the reflexes have names i had to learn all of them it's been a while since i've had to quote <laughs> them so i'm sorry it's i okay. can't give you the exact name but something about the spine because when children are born, you know, the regular way, the compression forces them to wriggle, Yeah. right? There's a reflex with that when there's pressure on certain areas of the spine, it creates this wriggling motion. It helps them get out. But once they've really worked through it in that very intense situation, that reflex, you know, has, is gone. It has been worked out. But if you're born cesarean, that reflex doesn't get worked out. So for some of these children, uh, they get sensitivities in their spine. So something like sitting in a seat is a little bit difficult, especially yeah. with you when you're expected to sit in your normal, like bottoms down, sitting straight. And then they just like they're uncomfortable and they wriggle and they move. And like you saw with Miss Hannah there, I poked her in this like yeah. gently, not hard. I just pushed yeah, yeah, a bit yeah. in her spine and she went like <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like that was a yeah. long time ago. I, I and I do also I also do remember the conversation we had about food specifically because that was so interesting mm. for me. Um, because, and, and also with everything that we've talked about before, it does come to mind just how much do we know previously, uh, you know, people like, um, generations of parents before regarding all of this, because this sounds like 
to your point before about it's just different. Do we know then enough the differences and therefore, like your mom with your younger brother, oh, I have a name for this. And that means I can find out specific strategies to help my son develop, right? Because it does sound then it's just because like, you know, like how um, people with, with ASD uh, have these obsessions, people with, with ADD or ADHD, it's about the attention, it's about the hyper uh, activity, but they can also hyper focus. So it's just providing them with the, with the right stimulus and therefore help them to develop. But is our society, and then this is kind of like a question that I want to ask as well, uh, does any society, like not just like here in Indonesia, maybe out there as well, like the, the global citizen, I guess. Do we know enough? Are we equipped enough? And have enough of the information and support in order for us to guide the young, you know, the younger children as they're identified. Because if we have interest tests, if we have IQ tests, right, why not we have these kind of like tests as well? And it's not, and again, there there is a stigma. There is like, you know, still like, it's as if like a shame. Like there's, there's this uh, black mark or some sort. But Elon Musk has openly said certain things. We have people in certain, you know, fame and, and wealth who I believe also have a bit of, but for them, it's okay. For, but if we have it, then it's whatever. Then double standard. It's, there's so many layers to this over. So then my question will be then, in terms of having a learner's support, and I just want to frame it in the context of, 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 uh, of a perfect world. Right. What is the end goal for learning support then in a perfect world? So I know we've had a lot of uh, discussions about what is the goal of school. Right. <laughs> so uh, in, in my mind, it's the same, which is that we're helping to give these young people the tools they need to survive in the world. Right. And in the world, you're going to meet people of all types, right? You're going to meet these people who are like, wow, you're really into dinosaurs. This is, uh, how, how do I deal with you? You know? So, uh, and at the same time, that, that person who's really into dinosaurs, is, you're going to meet a lot of people who aren't into as dinosaurs as you. You got you to gotta realize that and you got to figure out how you're going to deal with it. But it's on both sides, yeah. right? Because yeah. we are going to meet people who have needs. Right, uh, you know, all across the spectrum. I don't think you can live your life without meeting people like, yeah, all across the spectrum of needs. And it's better if we help students, you know, our young people early on figure out, okay, well, how do you manage that in a way that is beneficial to everyone in a way that actually helps the world move forward, you know, and not just focus on like, you're weird and I'm going to spend a lot of my mental energy being angry about that and thinking about that. <laughs> okay. You know? So um, to give them the necessary tools to fit in, thrive, and not just survive in the world. I think that's kind of like where mm -hmm. we are. But that also is true for every single student that we have. Again, we go back right. to what I said before, like every child's needs are special if you think about it, right? So what, <laughs> there's, like, no, there's no parent who's going to say like, oh, my child's, my child's not, uh, in, like, their needs aren't important and different and unique. You know, everybody says, yeah, no, my child is unique and they have unique needs, but then, special needs. <laughs> but okay, so where we are with the stigma then? Because like, because that sounds so much like, it's, it sounds so normal. It's, it's like having this, okay, again, they would behave, I would say, differently from most people. And therefore, the, the, the concept of fitting in in a society has always, has always been weird for me. I'm a great advocate for any of my students to be weirdly, uniquely them. 
Like, like for any of my students who know me, who've talked to me, I would ask them to be weirdly them, to be uniquely them. I don't care. I don't want people to be the same. It's boring. Like, we are not made in factories where we are a template of anything. No. Like, you're not even a template of your parents. Right? You, you, will, you will inherit some things because, again, uh, with children and parents, it's always models and mirrors. We, mo we, we mirror our models, right? So it's always, there's always going to be some habits, some things, but you are your own person. And there's always this argument of how parents should not force or project whatever that they fail to do to their children, uh, a conversation in another day. But even having this conversation with you right now, it's just basically they're just different like every single student is different, right? We have the introverts exactly. and then we have the extroverts. We have the, uh, there's a new term right now with uh, basically have both traits, like equally mm. uh, extroverts and introverts. Um, even, even that, even that, like that's also very contextual, right? Like in certain situations, you're going to be extrovert. You're going to, in certain situations, you're going to be introvert. It's not going to be across the board. And like, exactly. Yeah. And therefore there's all, there's this new contention mm. to the whole thing as well. Yeah. I can attest to that fact. I'm, I'm, I can say I'm an extroverted person, but when I need my time, I would just go to the mountain by myself and kick people out. Like, I just don't care. But mm. like, I thrive in a social function like i there will be a certain amount of days i'll be like oh i need to see people right I, so i can i can say that i'm an extrovert but even then in a different context i will kick you out of the room just so i can be alone by myself right so but again that that just goes goes to the point of like every child is different so where does the stigma then come from and where are we then with the whole, um, because like, you know how like, there's all, there's, there's this effort of integrating, uh, again, I, I hate to use the word now, uh, students with learning needs or learning disabilities, right? Uh, but it's just like learning difference. But when we do have schools, like for example, our school where we teach right now, uh, it's the always, I, the idea has always been integrating into a regular class, even the word regular class is just class, um, versus, uh, and just kind of like your opinion in this, right? Uh, do you think we should, like schools in general, should just put everything, put every single student um, in a class as opposed to putting students who, again, diagnosed with learning disabilities into a special school because we do have that right be it an international curriculum or even like a national curriculum specifically for um learning disabilities like as, like i mentioned before the beginning we have what we call uh luar biasa which is like an extraordinary school that's basically the translation to english right extraordinary school i'm like wait what no it's just a... anyways but what's your thought on that like should we just continue with the integration or do you what's your thought on splitting it and then putting it into like what they call like a specialized school so in my mind the goal must always be complete integration because that's just going to fit life better right that's mm -hmm. going to mirror life better however that we we have again there's tears right okay. of uh there's ranges of needs and so there's also tears like for example if a child is uh completely nonverbal and prone to violent behavior then of course there's a lot of stuff we have to manage first before we can think of really integrating them uh okay. with others because we have to think of the safety of other children as well so okay. that's an extreme case that's an extreme case i have worked with uh, a much that was an older student who actually had um, for they they literally had brain damage okay. right and so they were uh unable to really form words and be, you know because of the 
difficulties with self-expression, with the difficulties in emotional understanding, uh, they could, you know, they got angry really quickly. And because of also their level of um, academics, they were put in with younger kids. So of course, that's a really bad combo, right? Yes. That's a really bad combo. So what we really had to work on first was methods for communicating and methods for like and helping them understand their emotions, helping them understand how to communicate what they're going through. Uh, and, you know, this was with systems of cards. We even had an iPad that actually let them like choose things and then making sure that those around understood that, okay, if he's saying these things, please take it seriously. Like if they say like, I, you know, we had like the key term was like, uh, I need space. And then they're allowed to go to like, they, you know, we had special areas set up where like, okay, they need to cool down for whatever reason they need to cool down. You know, if they've said that, give it to them, like no matter what the circumstance, but then, you know, that allowed them to integrate better. But we could okay. see like at the beginning, they were in a space where no. So yeah, the goal should always be work them towards integration. And I don't think, you know, if, if a child ends up in a special school for their entire uh, schooling life, I can see situations where that happens, where there was lots of difficulties, but we should we should always be aiming, like if they can get out and get into regular schools, even if they're there with assistance, with a shadow, that should be the goal. We should always be moving to okay. more integration. Okay. Yes. So integration is the goal. I think, um, and that's a beautiful thing, right? Because they have to live with other people and other people have to live with them. So I guess like right now, back to the whole thought of how much do we actually know because i am fortunate enough to work alongside you and therefore have more information i would say more than other people right but as a out of the seven billions people in the world right now because to your point it has to be both ways i think you mentioned this before that it has to be both ways uh the example of like um obsessing with dinosaurs right having this conversation about dinosaurs it has to be both ways the, uh, the the person with the obsession but also with the other people understanding that as well because like if both if it's only one end of it then obviously tension will always still, will, will always still be there well uh and and so that therefore like so man it's hard <laughs> Have you seen the movie Mitchells versus the Machines? Yes, I love it. Was on it. Netflix. I, I love that movie so much. Like every single boomer parents need to watch that movie. Yes, and I love the the younger brother because for me this is a great example of ASD. You know, he specifically was interested in dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. I love that scene where he's picking up the phone and he's literally calling different people and say, like, you know, I forget what exactly he said, but like, do you want to talk about dinosaurs? Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> Hang up, and then he picks it up and he dials another one. Right. Uh, uh, like he, he was a great example, but you can also see, you know, his parents accepted him, his family accepted him. Nobody pointed out it's like, you know, hey, you're a weirdo. And in fact, he comes off as lovable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Very helpful. And, and there was a there was a. So for, for those of you who don't want to uh, be spoiled, like if you don't want the spoiler of the movie, uh, then you can skip the next few segments here. Um, but essentially. Okay, so I'm going to try to not spoil too much. But what we're trying to prove is that the brother who we talked about like has shown ASD, uh, Autism Spectrum Disorder, um, was very helpful in the relationship between the family members, right? Because again, we want to, I guess like another side to this is that we want to also bring up the stigma itself and talk about whether it's actually a stigma or is it mostly because in general a lot of our people a lot of the the, the 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 human beings that we have here a lot of our society misunderstood and therefore for a quick you know the whole idea of i so i can put a name to this label people 
just because they cannot, don't want to understand, right? Because again, there, obviously there are levels to this, right? Uh, like like Farhan, you said about how obviously if the if if the child is outright being harmful to himself or herself and others, then we will not integrate in 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 a normal setting, right? Uh, that's kind of like just just how it is. But it's the goal is to work with that particular child in in in. I guess the social skills that they would need in order or for whatever, them, yeah, whatever, whatever it is they need to to be able to manage in okay. the classroom. Okay, yes, I think that that's a better term because we talk about different needs. So mm-hmm. identifying first the needs, work with them, and then work towards integration, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I guess like we just won't don't want people to keep on understanding. Oh, they're different. Yes, but you're also different. Yeah, you know, it's 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 so weird. Like, I'm I know so many of the kids uh, who are who feel weird about like, oh, I like K-pop, but I don't know how to talk about it, or oh, I like, uh, I, I'm obsessed with this book series, but you know, nobody else is, and I feel weird about it, or you know, I I'm really into you know, everybody's into their niche things to some degree, right? Yep. Exactly. And then we got to be okay with it. Exactly, because like here's here's the case. Okay, so this is how. I'm different with people. I love washing dishes. I, I'm not even. That's very different. You can you can (laughs) ask people. You can ask people who know me who like before pandemic, uh, even after we got back to uh, to to the office. You can ask my wife. You can ask whoever. I love washing dishes, and people always think that as weird because, for them, why don't you just put it in the sink, and then. Uh, one of the cleaners will clean it. I'm like, I don't want to. Not because I don't trust them, but because that is my my moment to clear off my brain. There is something, uh, there is something about just that moment of me specifically doing that, and I don't have to. I don't have to think about anything else. And the reward of from doing something that's dirty the process of it and then i can see the result it's clean it's rewarding for me i don't know why for me it's like a zen moment for me to kind of like i'm stressed out i'm just gonna walk off walk away and then do my dishes like it's just a moment for me right and people can say that's weird and that's completely fine but they cannot take away the fact that that actually is helpful for me right yeah no, totally. And I've, I've had kids like, yeah, for, you know, oh, I'm having a lot of trouble with this. I need, I need to do something about it. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to like flap my hands and jump around. And like after that, okay, I'm okay. I can sit down and I can work on it again. Uh, yeah. And like for me, same thing. Like I, I feel really stressed. Okay. You know what? I'm going to go out for a jog, you know, and a yeah. lot of people would think like jog, jogging is a, you know, a lot of people accept that now as like, oh, that is a thing that you can do for stress relief. Exactly. But it so- definitely is weird to some people. <laughs> I guess like to, to okay to close it off though. Like I just want to have your like your thought on like <clears throat> with our education system now specifically mm-hmm. is, uh, again because the whole idea and the whole goal uh, apparently is the same is to prepare the students regardless of their different needs to prepare them for the world right now. But in your opinion though do you think our current education system is equipped for that? Specifically then for uh, students with, uh, I guess like we can have like for, for context, right? For, for learning disabilities, I guess, uh, to this point. And hopefully that, that term will change in the future, right? Or, or learning differences, uh, basically LD. Yeah. The tools exist for every child to succeed. I've seen there are so many different things out there. There are so many different programs. The tools exist. Now, bringing them all together is hard. Some of them are cost prohibitive. Uh, Getting the right tools to the right kid, getting the people with the right knowledge to find the right tools for the right kids is all 
difficult. Uh, but it's all out there. I think our systems definitely need to be adjusted to make it work. But the tools are there. We can make it work. I've seen very successful situations where um, students with very severe needs are able to succeed and thrive. Mm -hmm. But it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So I guess like that is the... um the long-term goal thing because yes schools will definitely um unfortunately also care about cost and profits it it is what it is like you cannot expect a business to not focus on profit and and justifying costs and expenditures and all those things so obviously yeah um man it's gonna be a longer conversation for sure but thank you so much for spending your time with us. And again, we might have this conversation part two, I believe, because just having this initial so conversation. so much more to say. Exactly. <laughs> no, I have so much more to ask, right? Uh, but thank you so much uh, for your time. And again, uh, for those of you who have been with us for, for a while and, and have been you know, listening to the education podcast from Not Gonna Lie by the Tea Break Room, um, we're still going to have this conversation in many different perspectives because the whole goal is that it's so much more complex. There are layers to this, right? And if you can take away anything from this particular conversation is that there, it's, no, it's, not, a, it's not a disability. It's just differences, right? So when you buy into that stigma, the best thing that you can do is to challenge your stigma. Where is it coming from? Is it inherent? And do you actually really do believe that? And for further than that, um, have you ever taken the time to actually question it? Is it actually something that you understand, therefore you label, or you just hop on it real quick? So thank you so much again to listening uh, for in, like, in this podcast. Tune in again for the next uh, episode that we're going to have. I will see you when I see you. Bye, everyone. Bye.